Aaron, what's going on, man? It's Monday, September 14th, about 7 p.m. How you feeling? I'm doing pretty good. Um, like I was saying, kind of just before we hopped on, I've been getting out, exercising a little bit more, uh, going for runs, working out. But how are you doing? I'm doing okay, man. Um coming off of I'm coming off of a decent day. I finished uh Drive to Survive season two today. Nice, very so nice. So I'm pretty much like caught up on the last what would you say like two and a half years, I guess, of F1. I got like yep. the quick snapshot of it um from both the Drive to Survive series. Very pleased just as um just as like a viewer of a of a show um the show was very entertaining so to any listeners who haven't seen it yet um i might recommend i might recommend checking out the show it's super entertaining um a lot of the drivers are great personalities but this is enough shilling for a driver to survive um wait, but yeah wait i thought we were doing an ad for for net oh no <laughs> oh 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 we have a sponsor for this episode <laughs> hashtag not an ad sorry hashtag not an ad <laughs> But yeah, we uh, we finished that today, um, and we it's actually we actually got a bit of exciting news. Um, a the landlord that rents us our office for the business, um, we just I would say kind of closed the deal. Uh, we're moving out of the apartment that we're in, and we're going to rent another spot with him. Um, that will be you know just less money, closer to work, just a whole bunch of good stuff. Um, so awesome. yeah, just kind of coming off a lot of good news. Congratulations on that, man. That's a I appreciate that's that. big when you get good news like that going mm-hmm. on. Um, so my dad yesterday, he was up from Georgia. Uh, Joey, Lindsay. Well, Lindsay's my sister. Joey's the guy that she's dating. He was over for like a birthday dinner type thing. Um, so me and Sarah were down there for kind of the afternoon. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So just like good, good, uh, good couple of days recently, man. That sounds like a pretty solid, uh, solid weekend leading into a, a pretty good Monday. Um, I don't know I was, uh, I've been feeling, like I said, working out. I've been feeling pretty sore lately, and like you forget, kind of, or at least I do. I forget that every time I get back into like exercising and doing that kind of stuff, um, <clears throat> like how sore you initially get, like from from using muscles that you haven't used in a while, and it makes me think about how sore some of these drivers in the formula one race have to feel after crashing out constantly. Well, um, crashing out and just the, like the wheels, the, and, and depending on if something goes wrong with a tire or whatever, like they get all this vibration on the, like on, oh, yeah. on the, you know, on the steering wheel. So like, yeah, there's, there's definitely. gotta be, an immense um an immense strain on the body well i mean you see it like when they hop in the when they hop in the cockpit they have like full neck guards and just oh, like yeah. all, all sorts of stuff and that's all just like to help them and yep, yeah yep exactly so yeah i can imagine that it's uh quite physically demanding being in the cockpit there yeah well and i was uh bringing us into uh into Magello and conversation about that watching yeah, that i was just crashing like, out right i was just like man these guys are gonna be like they've got to just be feeling it after after that race because it was even the guys who some of the guys who made it through to the end 
were still knocked around pretty good at a couple different points. Uh, right. Race. So were you, were you able to catch up and at least uh, look at some of the highlights? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I went back and went back and kind of, kind of studied up and got a good sense of what was going on. So there were, what do they call those? Like, um, uh, like, well, did, well, yeah, yeah. Or, did not finishes, but, uh, they had three full stop starts. Or, well, it was two, is two that, red is that flags, what okay. two red flags, which are the full, the full restarts. So I guess three, three starts, including the, the start of the race. Yeah. Um, and then each, each time they started having less and less drivers on the grid. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, by the end, a lot less <laughs> when you get down to, I mean, it, it's pretty rough when, I mean, I guess you could say <laughs> that Verstappen uh, going out was kind of due to uh, car trouble, but it's pretty rough when you lose almost half the field really to just people crashing out. Like it was, it wasn't people who were like, oh, my gearbox is, is shot, or like last week with uh, Seb having his brake line explode on him or right. anything like that. It's just like, nope, people slamming in good old bumper cars out there. Um, high speed bumper cars. <laughs> and the the way that it looked was that there was significant miscommunication between especially the big pile up after the second start. Yeah. So where the back of the pack the back of the pack thought they were going, but the front of the pack didn't start racing yet. Right. And so yeah. like I, I was listening to some different stuff on that today. And so for, for anyone who, who doesn't know, brief overview of, um, of Mugello uh, and the race, there was a crash in the second turn of lap one, uh, which led to a nine-lap safety car while they were able to clear. There were two cars that got knack, knocked out. So Verstappen and Pierre Gasly, last week's winner, uh, got knocked out right off the bat. Um, Notably, both cars on the same squad are yeah, racing both, for Red uh, Bull, right? Both Red Bull cars yeah. using Honda engines. So they got yeah. um, they got pinched. Verstappen had some trouble with his engine before the race, which is why I, I said it was semi-car trouble that he fell back so far in the pack now um, to be in now, that position. The but, engine trouble, was there any indication of that during practice on Friday or qualifiers on Saturday? Or was that no. like an anomaly on race day? So it was on race day. He did okay. his, like, you have a couple of like warm up laps essentially. And right. as he was coming around on, uh, on his warm up laps, he just like wasn't getting power. I think it, I think they may have figured out, I'm pretty sure they said it was a sensor issue. Okay. Uh, it was like, not working properly and, and not giving enough power to his his engine but his team like came out was repairing it up like five minutes before the start of the race um he got a great start off the line like but he passed botas to get up into second and looked like he was gonna go past lewis because he really just got a good jump out of the gate and right. then his engine like he just starts like drifting slowly, like further and further back and further and further back, and then just gets slammed into uh, uh, from behind at the second turn. Um, but yeah, so what you were talking about then was after this nine lap safety car, everyone it's a it's a rolling start. So as soon as 
uh, Botas, who's in first at the time, uh, crosses over the starting line, it's back to racing. Right. Um, and I, I was reading up on it a little bit today, and 12 drivers got formal warnings from the FIA, the, the Formula uh, One, like, governing body right for having a part in this this pile up that knocked out five uh five drivers from the race so So. then how do those warnings factor in down the line for the rest of the season is it like a is it like a three-strike warning and you're benched are there monetary um like monetary fines that come in how how do those fia warnings work um i'm sure that they potentially so like if it it's a continued occurrence you can uh lose your super license which is kind of like something that all formula one drivers have that allows them to race in formula one you have to basically get your your formula one driver's license so i think you can get points against um that but also fines are are kind of the primary um, oh that's so funny like hey knock it off (laughs) even the fastest drivers in the world can get fucking points on their license (laughs) yeah Um, i'm not sure you imagine lewis hamilton super license super license gets taken away for well, they, six points. They've had, uh, there have been drivers that have lost their, in the past that have lost their super license, notably in like the 2000s. What? There were, there really? were a couple of drivers who, um, and uh, this is going back into history from videos that I, I've watched on YouTube um, about it, but there were a couple of drivers that were, um, <laughs> I watched a video about like the worst 10 F1 drivers in history kind of thing. Um, was Grosjean one of them? <laughs> no, Grosjean was not one of them. Dude, dude, uh, and I'm not I'm not talking shit. Like he's he seems to be a solid driver. Just the amount of scraps that his vehicles have been in. Oh yeah. Dude, he's, it, it seriously looks like me when I was 17 years old totaling <laughs> each of my family's cars. Yeah, it's uh he's had some rough breaks, but no, there were a couple of drivers that actually got their super license taken away. I think one was actually for driving too slowly. Like he was getting like lapped and beat so badly that they were like, "Bro, you're just not hanging with everyone." <laughs> like you need well, to be and, so sorry. And, you're you're a danger to everyone by being out here. Yeah, I was just about to say you're like that almost seems more dangerous than than other scenarios, right? Because oh, absolutely, everybody expects an entity that's moving what, like two hundred plus miles an hour, and he's just dirtling along at like a buck fifty. That's not gonna fly, bro. You're gonna run right into him. Oh yeah, like it was. Um, uh, so there, there have been people who've gotten their licenses revoked. Wow, um, that's crazy. Kind of funny to think about. Yeah, but, um, it honestly doesn't make me feel that bad then. No, but I mean, like with this this crash, it was just it was really bizarre because the people who I I think the blame doesn't really lie with the people who made contact first. So like Antonio Giovinazzi and um one that made con I think Nicholas Latifi maybe um both contacts that were made in that pile up. I heard him throwing out uh, Raikkonen's name a little bit. 
him, it was uh, as far as I remember um, from looking back, because Raikkonen made it through all of that, and he he ended up finishing the race. Oh. Um, which was, yeah, Raikkonen ended up finishing P9, I believe. I mean, yeah. just because he finished that, that doesn't mean he didn't well, he didn't do something that could have. He he was in. He was one of the people who got a warning. Um, uh, so the okay. only the only people really that didn't get warnings were the top three at the time, which were Hamilton, Botas, and uh, Charles Leclerc. Right. And then like the three bottom. Okay. Um, which I think were. That were able to uh, like totally drive around it. Yeah. So gotcha. like I think Grosjean, Vettel, and right Ra- or no, I think Raikkonen was one that didn't get any uh that didn't get so I think it was I think it was Raikkonen, uh Grosjean and um and Vettel that were in the back at the time that didn't get they like made it through and since they were behind all of the craziness, they didn't get uh <laughs> get any warning or anything so it was like interesting in the three back but um but yeah it was weird because the the middle some people started to go flat out and antonio giovinazzi uh was one of the people he admitted he was like i was going full out and like the guy in front of him which i'm pretty sure was latifi was also going full out but then realized the people in front of him had slowed down because uh, Botas hadn't fully gone yet. He was kind right. of trying to protect his uh, his lead and not let other people get up to speed, which is a fair racing thing. Like you're behind the safety car. He didn't do anything that was um, not allowed, but he was just going a slower pace until he hit the line and then he gets the jump and that's his like advantage for being in first at the right. end of the safety car. But uh, as soon as Latifi swerved to the left there, Giovinazzi with his lovely Alfa Romero just slammed right into the back of the, like three different cars right in front of him. I mean, so, yeah, with the, with the degree which, to which that crash was honestly devastating to a lot of those vehicles, honestly, the one, and I mean, this is, this is, this is going to be, you're going to hear this sentiment echoed from me a million times over is I'm just fucking glad that nobody was hurt, man. Oh, yeah, I no. like, it's, uh, it's honestly amazing. And so they, um, in the, the broadcast, they talked about the halo, which is that little, um, it looks kind of funky, but it's that little like plastic thing that kind of goes around their head and yeah. protects their helmet and everything. Yeah, the and and where like on the like dash cams and driver cams, like it, it, yep. it it's almost a thing that kind of looks like uh like a windshield without the glass in between. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that, yeah, that's like I mean, that's like effectively their roll bar to that, for certain situations. It keeps their helmet below. So the helmet won't make contact with the ground if the car rolls, right? Well, it's that along with actually, since it's right at that like head level, if there's any large pieces of um, like debris that come flying through the air, like it, they just get deflected that from like slamming into someone's head, like a, a tire or something like that. If it pops off and goes rolling down the track at a hundred miles an hour and someone nails it like right it's not gonna take their head off exactly exactly so interesting 
they've well, uh, yeah, me and uh, me and Sarah were talking about the the fire suits today. She was asking me if like the helmets and all that were were fireproof, just like the suits would be. And jokingly to her, I said, honestly, there's probably more technology in those burn suits than there is the fucking vehicle, man. You know, because there's yeah. a certain degree where they number one priority is driver safety for a lot for every single one of these constructors. I know that to be true. Oh, absolutely. They so yeah. Uh, they want to be able to keep racing and the way for things to stop is for something really, really awful to happen. Um, and for, for drivers not to be safe. And I mean, if drivers aren't safe, people aren't going to want to drive for one and people are not going to want to watch. Right. Yeah. Like, if every weekend somebody's yeah, going to die. Yeah. Like, and I mean, which is weird. Cause, um, like back when formula one started, it was like really common for people to like get like the, the drivers back then were like daredevil guys, like uh evil Knievel types. Like they were, they were out there and they were like, like risking their lives and like not being safe to a much greater extent than, than is now. And it's still pretty, uh, pretty wild. I mean, the, the crash there was like just brutal looking yeah it was um uh, especially like seeing uh geo's car like both of his front tires just like splayed out to the side and he's just like skidding along the ground forward basically like with both of his tires like sideways and barely hanging on to his there so dude um but yeah of, that, uh... i mean Go ahead, continue. I'm sorry. Oh no, I was I was gonna go further into the race, so so go ahead and uh... yeah. This is this is breaking news. So literally, just like a couple hours ago. Speaking of fucking crashes that don't end well. So police pursuit ends with crash into a building in the town, like in the town that we're around, and like looking at the foot, like like we we know the business, dude. There's like. There's a car in the front of it, and they're going to need some glass work and some woodwork, man. Ooh, that's yeah. wild. Yeah. First uh, first instance of breaking news on uh, on the podcast. There we that's, go. That's wild. So for any of you who, uh, <laughs> who are out there listening, uh, in the – somewhere in pennsylvania there was a wild crash <laughs> you you may not be able to get pools from apollo pools anymore just you know wait just, for just real beware. yeah wait yeah. that's where it was yeah Dang. <laughs> you, know, you know where i'm talking about yeah i know exactly where you're talking about yeah that's, that's wild so it's brutal wait, isn't yeah. that like kind of up on an embankment uh yeah, and there was probably like medians and all sorts of crazy shit. They had to yeah. they had to like fling the thing, like a ramp oh. off into the into the building. Holy cow, that is wild. I can't breaking. even yeah. I can't even imagine how that would yeah, breaking news like when people <laughs> listen to this in a day or two. <laughs> um that's pretty crazy. I would Old never news. have never would have imagined that. Anyway. Um but yeah, no, I mean that that's kinda it's funny because like this race was like honestly it, it was had these like crazy moments like with these big crashes but it was kind of like a relatively boring race otherwise um uh, up until like when lance stroll gets a, a puncture in his tire and goes flying into the wall at like 
I don't know, a hundred and whatever miles an hour. Um, like other than that second, uh, red flag stop, the, the race was, was pretty boring, uh, in the sense that like, I mean, Lewis Hamilton won, Mercedes went one, two, the right. only other like big point that I, that I was excited about was Alex Albon, uh, finally getting his first podium, uh, for, in formula one. Uh, yeah, because he's he's a very interesting personality and um, a great driver to watch. Honestly, I think he uh, I think he drives really well. It sounds like he's got a lot of heart in the sport. He does. Uh, I was very, very happy to see him get his first podium. Yeah, he's really got a lot of like determination and a lot of um, like focus. Like he is. He doesn't have as much of that like outside fun personality that some of the other drivers do. But man, he like locks in and like driving in Formula One is what he wants to do. And he puts all of his like willpower into it. It's pretty, pretty fun to watch Um, and like very happy for him to to see him finally get there after he had two other chances that I thought he might get the podium and ended up uh, getting knocked by by Lewis. Uh, and, oh, fucking last season you're talking about. Well, there was Brazil and then uh, uh, from last year, 2019, and then there was the first race of this season. The yep. same thing happened. He was going for – he probably would have won that race. He had better He had better pace than Lewis and Valtteri. What, and what, what Grand Prix was that at? That was at uh, the Austrian Grand Prix Uno, I believe. Um, should have been or no yeah so testing test yes the austrian grand prix so he yeah had very very good pace um looked good and then got bumped by lewis uh while he was trying to pass him damn and spun out and i forget what he finished but i think he finished down like uh, let's see here. He finished in 13th. Or no, he got a DNF. So he was knocked completely out right. from that. So, um, But yeah, so I mean, for someone who has been in F1, not for an extremely long time, but has really proved to be uh, someone who has that um, that motivation and and some pretty good skills. It was, it was cool to see him up there on the podium for the first time. So. And the, now I didn't catch, um, I didn't see anything from the qualifying day. Do you remember where, uh, the grid position that Albon started? He started P4. So, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So Max was, it was Lewis, Valtteri, Max, and then Alex. Gotcha. Okay. So damn. So he- so Hector Grace ends up gaining a spot, gets his first podium in F one. Man, that's a, that's that's crazy. Yeah. The only the only disappointment I had about that was that he beat out uh, Daniel Ricardo, who is like right on the fringe of forcing his team boss to get a tattoo, um, which I think I mentioned in the last episode. But... Yeah. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but I really just think that would be hilarious um, because I'm so curious what it would end up being. (laughs) 
<laughs> but that was my only disappointment with it. But uh, but very happy for for Albon to. Do you think it would be that. like a like a thick veiny bastard driving an F one car? I too. I don't think he would go that far, but nah. I, I feel like it's gonna be something funny or like some sort of inside joke of some right. sort. Like it's it's gonna be <laughs> interesting once we hear uh it, or if we ever hear what that tattoo is if it happens. So <clears throat> but yeah, so that was the uh the F one excitement for for this weekend. Um, yeah, I can't believe that, dude. Eight DNFs, man. It's just like that's ugh. That's why it, it it kind of feels bad because you want to see everyone racing cleanly and see like just you just want to see good clean racing where people are making good passes, people are are getting along. Um, good clean racing. That's that's the <laughs> that's the title of tonight's episode. <laughs> Good. Ah, we just want to see good clean racing hey i mean i don't want to see anyone get knocked out from crashes and stuff like that and i guess that's what i mean by it like i don't yeah. i i don't mind people uh people being aggressive and stuff like that and going for going for passes and and maybe being a little risky i just don't like seeing people get knocked out by by crashes and stuff like that it just right. it, it kind of takes away from uh <laughs> from the race overall i think i mean when when you have 12 people finish and like three of them haven't gotten points this season so you're guaranteeing one of the those three gets their first points of the season you're just kind of like i mean good for them but would it have happened if everyone had finished the race probably Probably not. not right um that's I I honestly think that's a fine point to make. Yeah, I mean, and and the guy who ended up getting his points was a, a guy who I I have notably said that I like a lot, which is Kimi Raikkonen, who had one of the funniest like uh, onboard <laughs> conversations of the race, uh, in my opinion. Did you hear his uh, onboard about his penalty? No, no, I didn't. Oh, it was great. He's like, so he, at one point, his, his team, they were like unsure. They're like, do, do you pit? Don't you pit? And they're like, last second, they're like, okay, pit, pit. We've got your like wheels out and ready. And so Kimmy crosses, there's like a little, almost uh, like when you're merging onto the highway, you've got the, that little kind of narrowing strip of diagonal white lines as you're merging on. And so he basically crossed over that to get into the pit lane because it was such a late call. And so that is, uh, it's a a dangerous move, even though no one was around, but it got him a five second penalty. So like, as he's going around through the last few laps, his team's like, uh, so Kimi, uh, we have a five-second penalty. We will be serving it after the race. And he goes, for what? And they're like, yeah, so uh, so keep driving. We'll have uh, the five-second penalty. We'll serve it at the end. And he goes, for what? Holy <laughs> just, shit. Like, just like screams into the microphone. Like <laughs> very just like aggressive. And they're like, 
uh, for crossing the the line of the pit lane, and they just like held it together. He's like freaking out. Jeez. Um, so he actually finished eighth position on the grid, but with his five second penalty, it pushed him back to ninth overall. <laughs> but it was. Uh, I thought pretty entertaining to hear him just now like... that's actually that's actually interesting. So they made Hamilton serve ten seconds in the pit stop. Right. And so so does it have to do with like like the timing in the race where you know it's too close to the end to make him just sit there so you just add it on to the end time? Like wouldn't so... it wouldn't it effectively just be the same thing? Like how how do they determine when the penalty is served? That that actually sounds kind of odd to me. So it's kind of based on uh, uh, what the penalty is. So there's okay. a couple different types of time penalties. There is just a, a standard time penalty, which is what Kimmy got, which is like you just add that much time onto your your race time, and wherever okay. that puts you, that is your new finish uh, right position. um but then there are other ones which is like uh there's a drive-through penalty which could mean that you i don't know like you um maybe released unsafely in the pit lane like you, someone else was coming in and your team let you go and you almost caused an accident in the pit lane by like merging back out while someone's coming through Right. Um, and so for a drive through, uh, basically you have to come into the pit lane and like go slow down to like, usually the, the speed through the pit lane is 80 kilometers per hour. Um, except I think Monaco it's 60. Um, so you have to slow down to the speed and for a drive through, you just literally like slow down through that to that speed drive through the pit lane and then come back out and merge. So it's and whatever time it takes you. Any... Right. That ends up being your, your kind of penalty. Um, gotcha. Like that slow down essentially. And, and then now with that, I would imagine um, what Hamilton got, which is what Hamilton got was, Yeah, but what Hamilton got was uh, called a stop and go penalty. So um, a stop and go penalty, like they give you a, a a amount of time based on what you did, how egregious your your with him coming into the pit lane when the pit lane was closed, he got ten seconds. So for that, you have to actually drive into the pit lane, go to your pit spot, sit there and be stationary for that amount of time and then you are allowed to like go gotcha so that's kind of the like most severe in terms of time because for most pit stops you say like most pit stops the amount of time that you lose from being in the pit lane being stationary is approximately 20 seconds or so and that um, includes and that includes getting onto the lane, getting into your your pit, the work, and then leaving the pit lane all right. takes about twenty seconds, even yeah, including like, a two to three second pit. Right. Like I'd okay. say that's about how it is with like a three second pit. Sure. Um, okay. So which is like you'll see throughout races that um if the leader is up 
by or someone is ahead of um the person behind them by like 20 to 25 seconds their team might bring them in towards the end of the race for fresh tires just to get the fastest lap point um if they don't think they have a shot at beating the people in front of them so uh, okay so get the grippiest tires possible and just so have them just like fucking gun. run it right yeah. so that's nice. like um, okay that's cool so that's like what happened with uh verstappen in silverstone or no silverstone or one of the uh the british grand prix one of the two this year where the one where botas's tire blue and then hamilton's tire blue um because if he hadn't stopped if max hadn't stopped for the tires um to get the fastest lap point he might have beaten hamilton in the race overall because hamilton's tires blew and even with that 20 second stop to get new tires and everything he only finished like a second and a half back from hamilton who was right race on three tires on three wheels jesus Um, but at the same time i don't know what condition max's tires were in so he could have potentially had a puncture as well if he tried to run them all the way through to the the end like uh hamilton and botas did so so honestly who knows but how many pits per race per driver like one or two right typically one or two those are the the most common if there's no um like safety cars or uh, red flag stoppages, um, you'll probably see most most drivers will go th- for a one stop strategy. Yeah. Um, but if there's a lot of tire degradation um, and you're you're really seeing like drivers have struggle with grip, um, then you may see that um, or hear over the onboards like they're their pit team go like we're gonna go scenario two scenario three and those are either switching up like what tire compound they're using whether they're switching to like a medium tire from the soft or a hard tire or it could be okay we're gonna pit earlier get like these tires like go and gun it and try and get a second stop in and and have having fresh tires throughout the race make up that time difference essentially gotcha but yeah so that's um so yeah hamilton's uh penalty was slightly different from kimmy's in just in the sense that kimmy didn't have to come into the pit lane for it or anything because it wasn't it wasn't a danger to anyone um what he did because no one was like really around him like he would have definitely gotten like a bigger hit if uh he had like Right. Like cut, swerved in, cut them off or something. Um, then it would have been something he could have gotten like a, a 10 second, like stop and go kind of penalty. So. That, that last point I heard, I heard my, uh, my favorite on from the race. <laughs> yeah. The uh, fucking Kimmy yelling at him. Yeah. I think very funny to me. Can you, can you hear, are, are you having mic issues? I 
don't think so. But well, just a second ago, my computer just like glitched out and my screen went black for a second. Gotcha. Yeah, because I was gonna say because you cut out for that whole portion. I didn't hear. I didn't hear a thing that you said. Oh, okay. Where did you uh, last hear? Um, you were talking about. Um, it was a little bit before. That was the funniest thing I heard from uh, Kimmy. Yeah, yeah no, I was just saying that. Uh, it was that was like the most entertaining onboard that I heard uh, from the race and everything. And so I was uh, just overall like it was a, it was a fun race to watch, but not as like exciting as, uh, as Monza was last week. Yeah. Monza. That was, that was, that was a really great race. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. So pretty cool. And I mean, it's also kind of crazy to me, like just, starting to look at the driver's standings um, going into essentially the second half of the 2020 season as of right now. But I mean, even with, I think that's Max's third race he hasn't finished and he's still only 25 points behind Botas and he's like 50 or he's 45 points ahead of fourth place. Like he's, he's just like, hasn't finished three races and he's just chilling there, like uncontested third place right now. Well, I think that not only speaks to maybe the difference in skill set between some of these drivers, but I think it also factors in, well, not it, but I think, I, I think as a fan, you also have to factor in that some of these drivers are driving very different vehicles. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that just exemplifies the you know the 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 significant difference that is the difference in engines and yeah, even though um oh, you know, 3 DNFs and this and that, that just proves that man, I think a lot of these constructors are pretty far behind. I would say so. And yeah. I mean to the point that there that was another kind of entertaining point for me in the um in the broadcast was um I think it was Martin Brundle, uh, one of the announcers, he's like talking about the racing point cars. And so uh, like we were saying, Lance Stroll is going to be the continuing on with racing point and Sebastian Vettel will be with them next year when they um, become, uh, oh, uh, Aston Martin racing. Um, And (laughs) they were like, so... Racing Point had some upgrades to Lance's car, but they only had one of the parts. So Lance got it. And so like Sergio is just like driving an inferior car to his teammate because they're like, well, Lance is going to be on the team next year. Like let's, and his dad owns the team. So he gets the, the new parts to add on to the car that we've developed to make it better. Dude, that would feel so bad as like, you know, whether you're first or second seat, just like getting like the literal last year's model. Yeah, like you're just getting or just like it'll take them, I don't know, maybe another week or two to manufacture this part that they had put on because i mean it worked well for lance until his his tire blew so he right it was looking pretty good so i mean (laughs) i'm assuming they'll make one to add to sergio's car but it might take a couple weeks for them to manage since they have to manufacture these parts so um 
that that's kind of rough that he's just like, yep, I'm just like gonna be driving a worse car for the rest of the season, basically. Now, do you think do you think drivers get do you think drivers get like superstitious about that kind of shit? Where like, ooh, if I'm not you know, or, oh, if the race doesn't start, like, or, oh, I don't want to have a different, you know, like, like, do you think those fact, do you think that kind of stuff factors in for drivers? Like it does, uh, like, like it might for other, other sports, other athletes. I think to some extent, cause I feel like with, uh, things like that, you, a lot of that stuff, it, it affects like your, your mental and kind of like where you're at with things. Like it definitely, um, I think I would be like in my head about that thinking um, like, Oh, what's gonna like, what are these, what is the team doing to like affect me compared to my teammate? Like what is improving us? And like, looking at superstitions, like I can imagine that they get in such like interesting routines, like for their racing and everything. Like I, I can imagine that uh, there's probably one of them out there that has the same pair of uh, of boxers that they wear for every race, or like uh, some like morning routine. Like I have to get up at this time and I have to eat my breakfast. Like at and this is what I have on for my race day breakfast. And if my eggs are are just if they're over medium instead of over easy i will lose my mind and i know how you eat your eggs uh, over easy no i like over medium actually but gotcha uh, i i eat eggs in in many ways i like uh i'm a big omelet guy i like having all the extra stuff thrown in but uh but yeah like i i kind of wonder for some of these guys because honestly like a lot of professional athletes i feel like have some really weird um superstitions like looking at uh there are in terms of other other driving uh professional athletes danica patrick is uh very into crystals and um like different crystals and like stone gems and things like that give different energy there's this whole like whole uh system of belief that revolves around like crystals and the different energies they give i actually uh so i listened to a podcast with her talking about this for a bit and i ended up going and buying like one of the it was for like five dollars off amazon i got a crystal and it has to or most crystals you have to like charge up Yep, you gotta you gotta put them out in sunlight, or you gotta hold it against your own heart, or something like that. But the one that I have actually has a permanent charge. I can I can increase the the energy from it um, by like having it bathe in moonlight and and Uh, other things like that. Okay, so it's a moonstone. But uh, but mine is uh, yes, it's uh, it's like Pokemon. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> it'll evolve your Clefairy. Exactly. Gotcha. But, uh, but I've got my my uh and I have to look it up because I can't remember exactly what it's called. But I have my my crystal that uh that I tried to use for good luck for my sports teams this weekend and it was 
uh, nowhere close to working. Um, so it it didn't quite have the effect I was hoping. Well, yeah, I was going to say, that's just like rubbing like the Buddha's belly for good luck, man. It seems a little... Uh... It's, little. it's a little far-fetched for sure, but I okay. mean, I. But also, like, there are all sorts of other ones. Like, you've got in professional hockey, you've got like people with that they grow out playoff beards. Like, once yep. the playoffs start, like you don't shave your beard at all. Like, and they get looking like cavemen before the end of the <laughs> the playoffs for most of them. Well, the one like, I wanted to go back to before we get too far away, you said, yeah. you know, drivers who don't change their underwear. The way I the way I understand it about F1 cars is there's no system for them to go to the bathroom. They just do it if they have to. So I would I hope to God, I would hope to God that none of these people are using the same boxers. I, I would agree. And actually, Think that's about something that. I hadn't thought about. And up until this year, I I had like always been wondering like i'm like man it is hot on those racetracks you're in this giant giant fireproof suit like how thirsty those drivers have to get and i was like and and i i thought had thought that like but i never knew how exactly that worked until, There's a drink button on the steering wheel. Yeah, which I I just learned this year, and I wow. like, uh, and also in one of the onboards from an earlier race, one of the drivers I remember, he's like, so my uh my drink bag has a leak. My foot is very wet right now. <laughs> I'm like, oh no! <laughs> like I don't know what exactly happened, but it must have like had some small like drip, and all of a sudden, yeah, like notices as he's like going around this track 200 miles an hour. Then my foot is, is just wet. He's just Yo. like getting soaked with water. Whatever, dude. I'm that's like, so funny, man. Yo, but, I can't believe like how calm they keep it like during those like onboard comms. Like it, it really is like they're just like sitting across from each other having tea. They're yeah. just like, uh, I've got understeer. I'm going into the wall. Yeah. It's like, like wait, wait, what did you just say? <laughs> Yeah, well, and then there's like, uh, like when Lance went into the wall, he just got like, you see him just like start flying off the track, and you just hear him go like, oh, and then he like <laughs> slams in, slams into the wall, and you just hear his pit pit boss just be like, Lance, what happened? And he goes, uh, I I had a puncture, I had a puncture, like, yeah, oh man, <laughs> I'm like. Dude, that's literally like a million dollar mistake. Oh yeah, like it's it's crazy. And thinking thinking about that stuff and just, but yeah, like how calm and everything they they stay throughout it and like it's it's pretty funny, man. It's wild. Um, like that. I think that's also why I thought it was so entertaining hearing Kimmy kind of freak out a little bit because I was like. They always seem seem so composed, and then when he like asked the question, and they just like, I, I think they must have misheard him, and then just like conti- like answered to what they thought he said, right. and he's just like sitting there like, that's not what I said. It's <laughs> 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 like just loses it. <laughs> well, yo, I love the clip. I love the clip that you sent me in the um. 
Oh, on a the, the press conference. Yeah. No, 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 not the press conference. Oh. The race with uh with uh what's his name? Where it's like Mo W. Mo W. Oh, with uh Seven. He's like in. It's in the practice. The practicing. Yeah. For yeah the, Vettel. Uh, where he's like. He's like Mo W. Mo W. He's like. I'm sorry, but that mode doesn't exist. Do you mean mode wet? He's like, yeah, mode wet, mode wet. Holy shit. I said to you, I was like, yeah, my girl doesn't have that mode either. We don't have mode W. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, you, you've cut out a couple times there. I, I heard what you were saying, but it's... I keep seeing a Discord pop up and say that you are that you're cutting out so uh, then i will sure uh i'll is. try to but, i'll try to stay closer closer to closer to my mic i keep like leaning back and shit too that's my bad worries i wasn't sure if it was like a discord thing like i i had for a second or or what exactly but uh no, i just have a very elementary uh podcast set up here so i'm just you know kicking kicking it in the green room here same. I'm I'm chilling. Uh, but yeah, man. My... We we before we went all the way back to fucking F1, we were talking about um, we were talking about like s- superstitions. We were talking about Danica yeah. Patrick and her uh, love of her, love of crystals, benign crystals. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So well, so how like, have the crystals worked for you? Um. So I just got it this past. When did I get it? I think last year for football season. And I mean. I haven't noticed a significant difference in the before and after of the crystal, but I also, I also wonder, like, do the crystals need to have some belief behind them too? Like, yeah, hundred percent. Is it is it just like, like I have the crystal, I want it to help. I had it in my pocket the entire the entire uh, time I was watching the Eagles play. And it did not <laughs> seem to make much of a difference, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't uh, I haven't noticed any uh, real differentiation between a before and after for my uh, my ownership of crystals. <laughs> well, I hope that I hope that as you keep putting it in your pocket at the start of the day, hopefully it begins to work wonders for you. Now. We'll when you were playing sports, were there any like like routine superstitions or anything that you had, or even like not even sports related? Like, are there like is there any just like wild shit that you believe that's like just kind of like even you know it doesn't make sense? Um, I'm trying to think. I didn't really have like. Does the idea of a big lady Bigfoot get you, Randy? No, it's nothing like that. I'm trying to think. I guess with uh with sports and stuff like that, um <clears throat> it was more so about like I guess my mood. So I would like how how I would perform and so like I would just try and do things that would kind of get me a little bit more relaxed and just like in a, a pretty decent mood. I mean in back in all the way back to middle school running cross country. Um, I would always listen to, there were a couple songs that I would listen to like pretty much before every race because I wanted to like, they had a good pace and I like to kind of sing in my head 
when I'm running because it keeps me like keeps my breath steady and whatnot. So uh, I would listen to one of the ones I would listen to almost every time for a middle school cross country race on the way there was um, every time we touch by Cascada. So that's I guess probably the the <laughs> the weirder side of uh, I guess pre competition superstition that I've had. What? Yeah, that was my uh, every that... time we touch, I get this feeling. Hey man, song. Oh my god! When did but... that shit come out? That was released in two thousand seven. Yep. That was that was probably oh my god, I haven't heard that song in forever. It was it was popping. That's like right when I, I would be listening to it. it dude, came this out is gonna be the soundtrack like, to my life. I was jamming, dude. It was that was my uh my routine and I would like uh all through like high school cross country and everything, I would always listen to different uh like music. I had like different playlists and stuff like that that I would um listen to to kind of get me like energized and songs that like didn't necessarily have um a lot of lyrical like nothing that like was crazy but something that i could like just have on loop in my head for 20 minutes or so right right so you could hit the rhythm and not necessarily the the words or the message right so lots of like some like Base Hunter and stuff like that in high school and Yo, things Darude like that. Sandstorm. Oh yeah, like stuff that like the that was a hundred percent on my high school. Oh man, bro, was, this yeah. has hundred and eighty-eight million views. That's wild. on YouTube. Wait, dun, 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 dun. Darude Sandstorm. Dun, 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 dun. Oh my god, this wow. takes me back, bro. Yeah, and so like that was on there. There's a song called "Dominate," um, which I can't even think of. It might be Benny Benassi. Oh Benny no Benassi. way! Hold on, I'm trying to think. No, it's not Benny Benassi. Yeah, but he, I had some of his songs on my playlist. Um, oh, "Dominate" by Show Tech. Oh shit! I gotta hear this. Hold on, I'm gonna. I'll link it to you real quick. It's, it's just like, there you go. It goes hard, man. <laughs> oh my god, this is from the Triple X soundtrack, or is this just this dude's logo? Um, it might have been. I'm not really sure, but song. The song was like great for running to. Like it's Bro. got that. Boom, that's intense. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, that that was one of the my go-tos for like running songs to have in my head. Dude, that so. sounds like the song uh do you remember the Blade movies? Do you remember the fucking the like the 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 rave scene in the beginning where they where they like have the sprinklers filled with blood, all the vampires just like with that camera, dude, that's what that song sounds like. Holy shit. Yeah, it's uh it was definitely like that so that's like about all i've got in terms of super bro i didn't know you were so hardcore it was just uh stuff to get me like hyped up i mean even like i music has always been something that i've like tied to my like athletics and whatnot even in college like 
I my running playlist was very different from like what I would listen to like just casually. Like I had my running playlist in um in college consisted of Hobson, Tech Nine, and then like Eminem like cleaning out the closet and like those like older Eminem songs that were just till I collapse I'm yeah. spilling these raps. So yeah, that like, one. yeah, I think uh there was one point where I think I said that when you, me, and Ian, or maybe just me and Ian were playing League, and he was like, bro, are you okay? Like, those songs are pretty aggressive. And I was That's like, funny. I was like, yeah, I'm good, man. It just, like, <laughs> they go hard. And that, like, gets me energized to, to do my thing. Because let's uh, be honest, running isn't fun. You, you need something to hype you up. And, I mean, there are, there are – parts of it that are enjoyable like if you can get into a good zone or a good rhythm then it like when you're running and it isn't painful because you're in good shape and you're like you can get into a zone where you're like oh i'm comfortable like i'm in like i've got some nice scenery around me or whatever like that that running's not bad but like most of running uh especially now that i've been out of it for a while is it's pretty rough so it's definitely a sport that uh, not many people would would go to for their top list of like enjoyable sports. <laughs> now this conversation started with this conversation started with you talking about like you know uh, remembering oh how sore I am and this and that. Now are you and this is coming from like a like a body worker's perspective? Are you? running on like concrete most often are you like do you feel like you're hydrating well enough are you stretching definitely doing well in terms of the hydrating um i try to drink a few bottles of water i have like a reusable like i don't know 24 ounce bottle that i try and drink two to three times during my work day um so i'm pretty good on that then i've got uh, I do okay with stretching, at least beforehand. Um, like I have, I'll, I'll go through and do some leg stretches, like stretch my calves, stretch my hamstrings, stretch my quads, stretch my groin, um, and then do a few just like minor arm stretches for for that. And I, I I'll stretch before I weight lift as well. Like gotcha. Not, so I try to do that because I really. Um, I, I really don't want to have to not exercise because I've injured myself by not stretching. Um, right. Right. In terms of, uh, like actual, like what I'm running on, unfortunately it is mostly like concrete, which kind of sucks. Um, just because like it, it's a, an unfortunate circumstance of living in the city. Um, yeah. You don't have too much. I mean, I I could go places that have like trails that are like gravel or cinders and stuff like that, but they're a little uh, fewer and far between where I'm at, unfortunately. Yeah, that's like, and the only reason I ask is just because it's a lot of impact, man, on the shins and and the and the lower leg, and and then on top of that, combine it with yeah, if you're not really stretching diligently, I think the damage will just compound, you know. Um, yeah. And I mean, I I did run into that um, 
I, well, I, I know I told you, but when I was trying to uh, win my bet that I had with my buddy uh, of if I could get in shape to run a marathon in a month of training, like the, from this past year for the Philly Marathon, I like went pretty aggressively for that. Like I hadn't run in a while and I went out and was doing like seven or eight miles, like right out the gate, trying to run them at like eight thirty nine minute pace. And I was doing it until like my knees just like gave out on me. Like I, <laughs> I would go for a run. I remember I did one 10 mile run where I did five mile, five miles from my house and then came back the same route. And the next like three or four days, I could barely walk up a flight of stairs because of like the pain my knee, my right knee was in. Um, now, what so, do you think you were actually chasing when you were doing that? Because it doesn't sound like you were actually preparing for a marathon. Well, no, it was a it was a a bet that I had made when I was drunk. I was like, we we're I was talking with my buddy, and I'm like he was talking about running. We're talking about marathons. I'm like, Oh, like I could get in shape for a marathon probably pretty quickly. And I was like, he's like, Oh no, like it would take a lot. And I'm like, oh, I could probably do me with my, uh, my, my drunk ego. I was right. Like, and at the time also I had been working out very consistently. I was, but it was all weightlifting. I was gotcha. So you had the, a, a leg up, you could say. I, yeah. Like I was you starting from scratch. Yeah, I was lifting five, six days a week. I was like out there. Um, so I had like a good base of cardio. I had a good base up, but I wasn't really doing any running, biking, whatnot. So I was like in good shape, just not running shape. And I'm like, oh, like I could just switch over what I'm training and switch from like weightlifting to like cardio and running. I was like, I could get ready for a marathon in a month. He's like, there's no way. I was like, I really think I could. Um, and I went for it, man. I <laughs> I was like, it wasn't anything. It was just, uh, it was ego. I made the bet and I was like, I'm, I'm just going to get after it. I'm going to try and prove to myself uh, that I have the determination and the uh, wherewithal to, to go out and do what I said I think I could do. And I pushed until my body broke. So... <laughs> Which was not the smartest thing I've ever done, uh, now, to say the least. But did I you mean, did you incorporate anything that we had learned from cross country? Like, were you like doing different exercises, different workouts, hitting different like you know muscle groups, skill sets, or were you just just running? I was doing a little bit of like, I would run different areas. So some areas I would run that had some more hills in them to try and like try and mix things up. I would run in, uh, I would try and do some like days where I'm doing only like four miles, but I'm running at a faster pace, more of like a tempo kind of run. And then like the 10 mile long run, it was more, that was just like, uh, uh slower, just trying to build up some stamina try and be like okay like if i can do 10 mile because my thought process was i didn't need to physically train in terms of like i didn't need to run 26 miles uh 
uh, as a like one of my training days to prove to myself that I could complete a marathon. Um, my estimate was if I could get up to one longer run that was about 15 miles or so, that I could go from there. And if I'm in shape enough to run 15 miles, then I can just, with my mental and everything, like I know I could carry that through for the rest of a, a marathon, the other 11. Um, just by knowing that my body's in shape to go that far, like then my body has to be in good enough shape to like go the rest of the way, essentially, is what my thought process was. Well, so I was that trying makes to sense build to up me. to that point. Okay. Yeah, because that makes sense to me in the sense that um, I was. I don't. You don't. Aaron? Oh, you there? Are you there? Hello? Yeah. Can you can hear, hear me now? Yeah, can you hear me now? Yep. Okay. Yeah, you were saying you don't you don't think dot dot dot. Um yeah, I just don't think that um you have to actually complete that full like distance. I think at some point your body just like there are diminish diminishing returns on going that additional distance kind of thing. So now, do you okay? So, I was listening to a podcast, and it was um, it was a, I believe it was a marine or like a marine trainer, and he was talking about the like the capacity for the body to push, um, and he said or he he believes and in in his trainings and studies have shown that the body will start to send the quit signal at forty percent capacity exertion so that feeling that you get of like you know when you're running your race and oh man yeah i don't think i have anything left oh man i don't i don't want to keep going oh man i'm getting pretty tired oh you know i'm i'm kind of hurting those those thoughts come at 40 percent um and i guess i guess what what you said kind of resonates with me in the sense that you were talking about like oh if i can hit this point you know my mental can carry me the rest of the way um no, I think that's just like a very self-aware thing. And it's, 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 it, it's a runner's mentality in the sense that, um, yeah, it is, it is a mental sport more than actually a physical sport. Um, Definitely. so yeah, no, I think that's, I, I just think that's a great, uh, great point to make. Well, did you have any like back from your days of, of running and, and whatnot, did you have any mental tricks that or like things that you did that were like, this is how I'm gonna like psych myself up. This is how I kind of push through. Um, cause I like, honestly, back, uh, back then for me, I was a head case, like big time. Um, to the point that like for track, when I ran, uh, my junior and senior year, I only wanted to run. And I actually got my coach to let me not run like the long distance races, which you'd think like running cross country. I should no, like, man, they sucked. I ran, I ran the 400 and 800 in track because I would get into my own head too much running in circles. Yep. So I just was like this, these are the distances that I can run where I'm pretty much flat out. And all it was like that, uh, SpongeBob clip where he's like, all, you know, is luxury and fine dining or whatever, where he's like 
getting everything else out of his brain I was right. like, in that. And I'm like, the only things I know while I'm doing this are pumping my arms and breathing. Like, right. Well, and, you, and you don't, you don't have to worry about like reserve or like managing your own tempo. You just have to go for it. Yep. I just in had the, a, in the four routine. in the eight, you're just hitting one or two laps. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm, I, I was with you a hundred percent though. The 1600 and the, it would have been 3,200, which was the two mile race and track. It was just brutal. Cause it yeah. was, I'm uh, going back to what you said, talking about the scenery. Um, there's an element to cross country that you could zoom, you oh, could yeah. zoom because the, and now, listeners, please understand that this is coming from the worst cross-country runner <laughs> the sport has ever seen. Um, it made it easier to run because you were going to consistently being be able to see something new. Um, and and just like you, yeah, I would get into my own head running the um, running the sixteen and the thirty-two because it was just it was just monotonous. The like the winner, like you know, the guy who's in P one, just like lapping you. Basically, it's just it's not cool. Yeah, you're just out there. I mean, like eight laps on a track for the the 3200 is just a lot. Like I ran. It's not even like sexy, you no. know. Like it's not sexy. It's like a spectator <laughs> thing. Like nobody <laughs> wants to watch that, bro. The distance runners are are definitely the least sexy of all of the uh, the track and field athletes. Like people want to see the hundred meter. They want to see people all out sprinting as fast yeah. as they can. They yeah. want to see the high jump. And yep. they want to see like javelin, like well, those are the. <laughs> like, well, that was know. the thing. I, I I picked a spectacle one. You know, I went to hurdling. That was fun. Ooh. Hurdling was sweet. That's definitely a spectacle one. I uh, I was not. I didn't have the uh, the build for hurdling. I would say. <laughs> I mean, old, that was that was a very short. small period of your life, my man. You went from being a little a little bean sprout to you you're fucking tall now, man. You I, would hit those hurdles like nothing else. Oh, now I'd now I'd probably be fine. Back then, yeah, you could I just step over them. Back then, I would have literally hit those hurdles like nothing else. I would have your forehead, bro. You were literally. <laughs> I would have been knocking every single one of them over. Um, but no, what what I can say as far as like pre-race or like pre-game strategies, when we were doing um, like warm-ups and either like walking the track or doing like, you know, like the one mile warm-up on yeah. race day where we were like trying to learn the track. I would take a drink of water at the start line and I would try and hold it in my mouth for as long as I could. And that was the way I would practice just breathing in through my nose. Interesting. That's actually a pretty solid way to, to like kind of get yourself in that, that mindset. Yeah, it, it was, it was very much a, um, I knew, I knew I was already down on weapons compared to some of the dudes that that I was going to be racing against. So in my head, I was like, this is this is the way that I can get an edge. I'm going to know how to breathe better than these guys. Hey, that's huge. That make that does make a big difference as as like 
minor of a thing as it sounds because everyone's like i breathe every day all day mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. but you always learn about you know when you're doing sports the you know in through your nose deep and all the way out through your mouth and deep yep. in through your nose and out through your mouth like there's something to that in the sense that that's been the narrative for a long time now obviously there's something to it physiologically speaking right yeah i feel like um, so yeah, that was my little game yeah interesting <laughs> that's a pretty solid one but um, now let me let me kind of swerve this conversation a little bit not and not superstitions or pregame routines how were you or how are you um i guess you know, two-part question, answer both. How are you with like, like pregame anxiety? And I, I don't want to say performance anxiety because like, you know, people associate that like sexually, but yeah, like performance anxiety is there. Um, do you find the things that you would do before a race or before a game, would that be to help you get over like nerves? Do you experience the nerves before a game? Do you, uh, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, before any any game, any race, anything like that, I always get like some jitters. And so like one of my things before races, I would do my my runouts, uh, like where you, you're at the start line, you just run out 20 yards or so just to kind of like people act like it's to like get you prepared for like when the gun goes off. And for me, it wasn't that it was just literally to kind of like try and clear my mind and be like, okay, this is what I'm doing now. I am running. And, uh, and like, I need to just get in the zone for, right. um, but no, I definitely like looking back, I had, For the, the amount of running I did, it was weird. I thought, like, as, um, like, uh, seasonal allergies um, from, like, ragweed and stuff like that. And it definitely had that to some extent. But I don't think what I was experiencing, like, looking back now and kind of going through life, I don't really think that what I was asthma attacks I honestly think that they were kind of like anxiety attacks because interesting was, I was like, I was like pretty competitive. I like, uh, expected a lot of myself and expected to do well. Um, I mean, my brother was on the team and he was a pretty, pretty good runner as well. And so, uh, when I would, start and so i think I, there would be times where i would start having trouble breathing because of allergies and whatnot and that would just like completely knock me out of that mental like zone and i would start panicking and i like i remember specific times where i was like i can't breathe i don't think i can do this like and i am i would just like spiral like instantly out of that that like mental zone that i had kind of psyched myself up to be in um and i had a couple of like in middle school i had a couple of dnfs from races from having like what i thought at the time were asthma attacks cuz i was having trouble breathing but i really think i like panicked and just had these like anxiety attacks come up on me that i like wasn't gonna meet my expectations or other people's expect and all this stuff. So I definitely, um, 
of that uh the jitter the pre and i guess during race like jitters and whatnot yeah so. no 100 percent, man i believe me i'm i'm right there with you i, I know exactly how you feel um I think the one thing that gets me a lot, and this is, um, I don't know, I, I, I guess just to say that, you know, you know, we kind of grow up with it in the sense that the one thing that gets me is pool matches. And there are, there are times when the, the competition that I play against, it's like, it's not like semi pros or even like amateur pros or anything like that, but the skill level that I'm able to play at matches roughly the higher end of the like the district league that I play in, which therein creates insane jitters like before these matches. And it's it's to the degree that sometimes I really have trouble like hitting a flow state during the match, and it it can really fuck with my game to the degree that I'm really not sure I've developed great strategies to handle that. Although recently, um, and this this may lead into you know further conversations down the line, but um, the one thing that it's or one area where it's stuck with me is our um commander nine league where we play um it's a format in magic the gathering a popular card game um known as commander and over the time that we've played with this play group it's ramped up in competitiveness the cards that we use are stronger faster more powerful worth a little more money um and the, and the reason i say worth a little more money is it's just indicative of the power level of the cards um and it's and the reason i say commander nine that's how we broke out the league where each player in the league gets nine decks that they can define as their most competitive their 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 most tuned list right um and we utilize a pick and ban strategy strategy that's very similar to league of legends um where we now know you know what's in these deck lists we know the power level we know how quickly they can win and that's the idea we wanted everybody to be on a level playing field and like be able to play at a a just just a bit of a higher level without like um without being coy about it right so we end or i end up getting pretty pretty nervous about the um about the games and the one i guess frame of mind shift that i've made recently is understanding that the jitters are adrenaline it's getting ready for that for that Ah, for that combat right and instead of shying away from from those shakes and and that that feeling in your stomach instead of saying "Ooh, this is uncomfortable i've i've tried to begin to lean into it right and say like yes this is the spirit of competition this is what i'm looking for right gotcha and it's it's helped me i'm not sure it's helped me be a better player yet but I think it's helped me rationalize the more competitive environment that's been ramping up slowly without necessarily a defined start, right? Because deck lists, 
Declas get stronger not by sweeping changes. The the decks change over time by pulling out this card and putting that one in and pulling this one out and putting that one in and all that happens so slowly. But our playgroup realized like, all right, we're at a point where, you know, we're like we're threatening wins seven to eight turns into the game. And that is very far off of what we may have believed was originally going on, right? Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, it's just been this total paradigm shift, not only in the way I play, but in the way that the whole the whole league plays as a whole. Uh, and it's fostered, I think, this really interesting competitive meta um, in and of itself, which is really, really fun. That's pretty cool. Like but I bring all that up to talk about the, you know, pregame jitters. Like it's 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 a very real thing and tough to deal with, man. Yeah, no, and it's I think that is something that probably um can make or break people in their comp whatever competition it is. Um and I mean maybe not all the time. Like there are definitely gonna be some days that you're just like in a zone and you're just like out there killing it. Um but yeah, those days that you're not quite there and you have to deal with that, you, it's just like that's stressful and that can make a, a difference and affect how you like perform. Um, I mean, I like just a weird one off. I was watching uh, the US Open in tennis the other day and I was watching Serena Williams and like every time she serves, she does the same exact like and not just like with the toss up in the air and, and hitting it. She like bounces the ball like three times, like a basketball, like spins it in her hand, bounces it two more times, like takes this deep breath in and like smashes it across the net. And like, <laughs> it's kind of wild, like that she's in that much of a zone that everything is so like, perfect like i have to do everything exactly this way and then i'm good <laughs> like so well, i think what's interesting about your point is you you articulate that as if it's her choice that yeah, is true. hours and hours and muscle hours memory. of muscle memory and her honing that in to her body to where she doesn't think about it anymore she doesn't that's have true. to that's just that's what she true. does it's, uh, All of those fibers are are fucking weapons. If she's got a tennis racket in her hand, oh yeah, yeah. Like it was, and I mean, I guess from an outsider like me looking at that, I'm like, oh, like she's like doing this. At, but yeah, you're right that it definitely is just like those years and years of practice um, and doing the same thing and and honing that that skill. So, well, and that's what's like, I think that's what's interesting about just sports in general is it's not ever really about the, the specific iteration of that rule set or that game or that matchup or that board or anything there's there's a world where it is really just about the human condition right yeah. it's it's continual testament after testament to how hard 
humans as a species are willing to work at just one thing there's there's something to be said for a group of individuals to be able to go so hard at something and dedicate a hundred percent of their attention to just that thing. Like, like, do you think Serena Williams can bake a cake? And that's, and that's not to like to come down on her at all, but there's, there's a world where she is, where she's never even thought about a cake recipe, right? All she's thought about is just serving fucking aces. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess like when you do, yeah, there's, everyone has kind of like the same amount or not the same amount, but you have a, a kind of finite amount of mental energy and what you, uh, what you end up going through and like focusing that mental energy on kind of takes up some of those reserves to the point that, yeah, like at the end of her day of practicing, she's probably like, I'm good. Like she probably has a a chef that like uh, a professional chef that cooks her and her husband and daughter's meals. And like, she's like, I play tennis and I'm a mom. Like those are my two things. Right. I don't care about. And and it's about limiting the hats that you have to wear. So you can really hone in. Like you you don't become a world champion juggling 50 different things. I, I, I just don't think that's true. You know? Yeah. I think you definitely have to like, like focus on certain things. And if you do, you can like continue to improve, but you do spend a ton of like, your thought and and effort on doing that so um but yeah it's pretty that's a pretty interesting thing to think about too like what you're spending your like mental energy and and time on uh and like is it stuff that you're just doing like because you enjoy it are you doing it because you have to do it are you doing it because you want to be a world champion at something Right. Uh, I don't know if I have that uh that like switch to flip in my <laughs> in my fibers. Well, the this conversation makes me think of two things. So in there was one episode, it was season 2, it was probably somewhere like episode 6 or 7 um of Drive to Survive where they were focused on Aston Martin Red Bull uh last season where they ju- where they picked up Pierre Gasly, right? Yeah, bro. and it was it was an episode where I I think he got like a decent like a decent finish in the race and you know, he was he was going home for the evening, yada yada yada. And that individual, he had just come from like a race or qualifiers or whatever it was. And guess what he did? He went, sat on his racing sim and hit the track that he was going to be racing next week. So even off the track, my man was still racing, right? That's, and, and it has to be the same, like, it, it has to be the same with every perspective world champion or every every athlete that is hunting for greatness like i have to believe that after the u.s open serena williams went home and played wii sports and <laughs> hit up that tennis room you know what i mean like you yeah, gotta no, always I, be practicing i definitely get that um because you you can't uh you can't stay at the top of your game when you are like just not spending that time and, and thought on it. Like right. That's what keeps you 
at the top. And I mean, and in formula one, when there's literally only 20 drivers, um, yeah, that like definitely is what you need to keep you like at the, the top of that sport. Otherwise someone's going to come take your seat. And the, the, it, the, uh, what would you say the proximity of that possibility for those drivers is so close all the time. I mean, like it, it happens. It, 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 it seems like almost every conversation that those principals have, it's just like, Oh, well you better shape up or you're fucking out of here. Oh, uh, contract don't mean shit. You know, like they're just oh, so yeah. ready to always be upgrading to the next best racer that yeah. as a racer, you have to be always willing to be that next best upgrade you know within within your own game yeah and it's it's wild because um like talking of like people who are so close on that edge like you've got a guy for formula one nico hulkenberg who was a driver for a few few years in formula one he didn't get a team this year and he's on he's a reserve driver um but for a bit from videos I've watched and and things I've read, he was being considered for, uh, to drive for Mercedes. If Lewis had left at one point during his like contract. And so this guy is someone who could have potentially gone and was being like looked at to potentially be a signing if needed for the top team in formula one right now. And he is just like not racing at all. So, but, uh, but yeah, so that's like one of those things where you look at it and they're just like right on the edge. But, um, but yeah, so I guess, uh, we've hit, we've hit a lot of different things. Uh, and and before, before we move on, speaking of like, like dedication and this goes kind of back to, you know, my, my massage practice, I was watching, um, and this is just like like dedication to one thing. So I was watching a uh, a gentleman, or I was taking a, a class with a gentleman. His name's Bruce Baltz, talking about active isolated stretching, okay. and he studied with the gentleman who came up with this like modality, this like way to way to uh, apply body work, um, and he studied this this modality for like 10 11 12 years from the guy that invented it and even in his classes that he teaches today after he has so much time in he still says like oh you know i'm i'm always learning i can always get better there's always things to improve on and you know this is all about angles and some days we don't get the angles right and yada 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 um and he said you know dedicating 10 years to one modality isn't for everybody he said but I'm happy I did it. He said, I'm, I'm encouraged by the way that this one way of thinking about body work has completely changed his thinking about the practice and like reinvigorated his love for just body working in general, that he was willing to dedicate like a hundred percent of his like clinical focus to just one modality to, to the degree that Active isolating stretching is is barely massage anymore. It's it it, it it's barely massage. 
Um, but you take this therapist that learns a good enough theory that he was willing to run with it for 10 years and throw out everything else he ever learned and said, nah, this is where it's at. He said, this is what's going to get results. Now he incorporates, he incorporates massage into his practice. There are some clients that may get more massage than AIS, the activate, you know, the, the stretching. Um, but he knows for him and his clients that him focusing just on AIS is going to get them the best results that he knows how to get them. So there's something to be said for an individual who is, who is willing to put that time into one area of study and, and learning about all the ways that different muscles interact with each other. And when you stretch one muscle or contract, uh, contract another one, what that does to other areas of the body. So when he's working with a client, he has 100% awareness of exactly what he is putting that client through anatomically and physiologically speaking. He is very in tune with what's going on. And I think that's, that's a depth that only only you can get to if you're willing to put the time in um i'm i'm sure i'm sure i don't know who originally said it it was probably bruce lee but he said i don't fear the man that's practiced ten thousand kicks one time i fear the opponent who's practiced one kick ten thousand times that's way more terrifying to me i would much rather learn from somebody who has only ever massaged a hand, but can fix any ailment of that hand than somebody who, oh, I can show you the best full body massage ever, right? I think there is total value in focusing up and really honing in on one thing. And that, the class that I took with Bruce was one of the most illuminating that I've, I've taken recently. And I think his passion really came across in the way that he, that, you know, he gave the speech. Uh, uh, not speech, you know, gave the class and the demonstration. Um, so yeah, I thought that was really powerful, man. 10 years on one modality. That's crazy. That's a lot. Like, that's, that's pretty impressive. And and I think that lends itself to like, you do only have so much like mental energy and power, but like, if you use all of that each day to hone in on that one thing, you can become like insanely good at it and become yeah. like masterful of it. And uh, somebody worth listening to about the topic, right? Then oh, people absolutely. are people are going to come and fold their legs in front of you and say, "I would, I want to know what you know." Yeah, you know that, that wisdom that comes through experience and time. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And there's, there's an element to it that I kind of wanted to talk about. Um, you said, you said what you choose to like focus your time and attention on, right? It's like, um, it's like a mental diet. There's, there is a, your, your, your brain and your mind react to what you feed it. Right. So if you're, if you're just binging garbage TV all day, yeah, of course you're going to lose that noodle. But if you're filling it with like new research and new techniques and always trying to learn and improve, uh, there is no ceiling, man. You, you, have to, you have to curate and, and carefully choose what you put in your body. Just like, like would, you eat, would you eat a bag of potato chips every meal for a week? Oh, absolutely not. 
Exactly. So like, just, just like you've made those conscious decisions, I feel like we as individuals, if we want to be able to improve, you, you, you have to temper that mental diet. That's true. That's yeah. a good point. Um, but I guess to get on, uh, to something a little <laughs> bit, uh, less serious and potentially, um, uh, still thought provoking because I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I want to tell tell you and our our listeners about the um the phone call from a ghost that oh apparently, god okay that apparently one of my coworkers uh, got and so uh, to start Wait, this so off, this isn't even you didn't get this call no no it's okay. uh, I, was, I was sitting in my office today and i just hear someone out in the the main office where all the the leasing agents and everyone are and they're like wait what like really like shocked and confused i was like oh this sounds interesting am i doing anything super important right now no i'm gonna go listen and see what's going on interesting tell okay tell me more I can't hear anything. Five hundred dollars uh, to reserve uh, an apartment, um, and over the weekend, our, our weekend guy who's in got a phone call from someone that was like, "Oh, um, just like wanted to reach out because I know that my that this person like put a, a deposit down on an apartment." Um, like they, they passed away and we're like, wait, wait, is like, excuse me? Like, yeah, like had a heart attack. Like they are, uh, they're not gonna need that apartment anymore to say the least. Um, and so it, it kind of got things interesting. Cause my, my coworkers are like, oh man, like we've been trying to reach this guy all week like trying to call his phone to get a hold of him because he didn't put in all the paperwork that he needed to actually like move forward in the renting process for this apartment and so they're like okay like this is weird because when the guy first called initially um he called and he was like oh yeah i need an apartment like we told him all the amenities like price and everything and uh, we're like, oh, do you want to come out? Or my coworker was like, oh, you want to come out and do a tour of this apartment? And he's like, nope, nope, I'll take it. Like, which is, I, I would say, rel- pretty rare. Um, yeah. In terms of renting, most people want to see where they're going to be living when they're signing on for it for twelve months. Right. And so he um, he was like. Yeah, I'll take the apartment. Um, someone will be by today to put the deposit down. Like he didn't want to put it down by card or anything. So later on the day, like someone stops by. They're like, "Oh, like I'm here to put a deposit down for an apartment." And they're like, "Oh, are you um, Steve?" And the guy's like, "Well, like." my name's Steve, but I'm not the Steve that's like renting the apartment. Like we have the same name, but I have his deposit. They're like, Oh, or like you, his friend or whatever. He's like, uh, not really. I like, just kind of know him. We're like, yeah, that's fishy as hell. It was just like bizarre. 
Um, yeah, so it was strange, but then we're like reaching out. And so it, it came to um, a, a head where we're like, okay, so like, what's the deal with this? This is weird. So um, who had been told the guy passed away, like right. looked for obituaries with the guy's name um to see and so they find the obituary and it's from september 9th so this past wednesday okay and my other co-worker goes no i talked to this guy on the 10th they're like i i had a conversation with him on the phone on the 10th on thursday like about were were you able to like track records did they did you guys confirm that it was actually the 10th so I didn't go that far with it. Um, so the property manager is on vacation. So we we're kind of like unsure what to do. Cause like the person put the deposit down. It's not like they put it down on a credit card and we can refund it. It wasn't put down on a check that we can just like void. They did it in a, a Western union money order. And so like with money orders, you can't track them at all. They're not like, like you can just go get a money order at CVS and be like, here, I have $500. I'd like a $500 money order. Right. Certified funds. I'm like, okay, here you go. And like, there's no real way to track it. And so in terms of like the money, I guess, but we didn't look back to see, like to confirm that, yes, like this girl did talk to the guy on the 10th, but she was like, I know I talked to him on Thursday and like his obituary says it's Wednesday that he passed. I was like, so you were talking to a ghost on the phone. I was like, how was that? (laughs) Like everyone was laughing, but I'm just like, the whole situation is so bizarre. I'm like kind of in a spot where I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. Like, is this uh, something supernatural? Is this other Steve that came in to to drop off the funds? Is this some like weird money laundering scheme or something? Because I'm like, the deposit's not a ton of money. It would be kind of silly to like try and do something to this extent for like the amount of money it is for the deposit. So, Whoa! So they're like trying to launder money through well, your hotel, five hundred dollars at a time for like my property, I guess. But I I don't think that's the case i'm like but that's where like my mind was like wandering i'm like so what is going on here like oh i guess that begs the question first do you believe in ghosts i believe in ghosts yeah like do you believe that that's that's within the realm of possibility that's what that's what you have to start with uh probably not so then so then no it wasn't a ghost it was was she was just confused (laughs) yeah no but i mean thinking about it i'm like it's just uh it's just a very weird circumstance and situation and so i don't believe it was a ghost have you ever had any supernatural experiences supernatural Mm. huh do you believe in aliens I don't think aliens like are how out. weird does it get, you know? I don't think aliens are outside the realm of possibility. Okay. Um, if there are aliens, I I'm kind of of the um the thought that 
um, there is a, a there's a like a it's not philosophical principle. It's some sort of like principle of the evolution of um, of a, a species that you're talking about the different like civilization levels. Yes, and yeah. so I don't necessarily believe that it's possible for a species to get to the point where you can do like intergalaxy travel. Um, and because I think that like there's a finite, um, and, and I mean, I could be completely wrong because I, you look at wh- how far we've come technologically from, uh, just like 400 years ago where people were fighting with wearing armor and stuff like that in the, well, pro- yeah, like Vikings and, and like looking at people who are builds and catapults and now we are like oh i can find out anything i want about the earth in two seconds on this little computer i have in my pocket so like that is a thing but i think that there's a limit to what um with the resources on the planet and mm-hmm. I don't necessarily believe that any species could could get to the point where they'd be able to travel and visit other um, like worlds in that sense. Like I think we could go to Mars. I think we could uh, travel around our solar system. But the sci-fi movies of like going like Star Wars traveling through hyperspace and through wormholes in Star Trek and stuff like that. Um, to like basically teleport across like uh, time and space to a crazy faraway place. I think that's potentially not possible. So there could be other, I, I do think there could be other super, some, I do think there could be like aliens and things like that out there. Um, I don't necessarily think that we will ever um, in the age of humans could uh, with them interesting that's a that's a that's a that's a pretty steadfast uh little little hypothesis you got there interesting so just, I, i've thought about it a decent bit because i think I, yeah just the, something that i feel like at this point of seen which I mean, I've also watched the Eric documentaries. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, the Pentagon likes to believe that they may have a craft that doesn't belong here, or that doesn't come from here. Wait, like, what would you say? Well, what would you say about that? A hundred percent. Like the Pentagon um, came out and said, "We have a craft that is not from here, and that doesn't mean it's Russian or Chinese." Like, what do you make of that? What do you make of Bob Lazar's story? Oh, it's tough because I, I really, I genuinely believe that Bob Lazar thinks that everything he's saying is factual. Are um, you, come I, on, I, come I, on! You're saying that he is that he is operating in in a delusion. 
And not, the reason he's not, not leaking any deception right. is have, because... I have a lot of trouble believing something like to that extent. Come on. When, Do you trust your government uh, that much? No one else can. And I mean, you can say he has friends and family members that he show, like took out to the to the desert and they other individuals do corroborate his story yeah in weird patterns and in like non-earthly like transportation patterns um but i struggle to believe necessarily all of those people Hmm. and i just there i don't have enough corroboration of that stuff for me to take it fully seriously. I think it's extremely interesting to think about and talk about. Sure, um, sure. It's I like a compelling argument, right? There's definitely something there's definitely something behind what he's saying. I don't think the man is like just off the wagon or just like completely nuts, but uh I just have trouble without uh without enough corroboration to necessarily believe all of what he's saying. Right. No, no, that, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, cause yeah, cause then if you, if you accept that, just kind of like on, well, let me, you know, cause I, first I want to give a little context as well, um, to the conversation, but, but yeah, I would, um, I might agree with you that if you, if you believe something like that, just like on merit and like, Oh, it doesn't seem like he's lying. Um, that creates a slippery slope for like other things. Right. But in in terms of Aaron, what you of were talking about, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you were talking about like different civilization levels and like reaching different like modes of travel and stuff like that. So the thing that we're referring to is the Kardashev scale. It's a method of measuring a civilization's level of technological advancement based on the amount of energy they're able to use. Now, this definition is coming right from the Wikipedia. Um, The measure was proposed by Soviet astronomer Nikolai Kardashev in 1964. The scale has three categories. Type 1 civilization uh, can use and store all of the energy available on its planet. A type two can use and control energy at the scale of its planetary system. And then a type three can control energy at the scale of its entire host galaxy. So the idea is as a civilization goes up this Kardashev scale, the greater propensity for like intergalactic travel and colonizing worlds and all that kind of stuff like terraforming. And, you know, as you go up that, that all becomes a reality within each of these things. Now, exactly. having said having said all that, that's just that's just a hypothesis. We've never, you know, seen examples of a of a type one, type two, or type three. That's just a hypothesis. Yep. What I would say though is it would be a I think a detriment to the imagination to totally cut out that as a possibility um i feel like you neuter is a strong word but i feel like if you begin eliminating possibilities out from overall a substrate that we don't understand totally you begin to nip creative outlets and or possibilities in the process so the more we start to say like 
oh, I don't think aliens can exist. I don't think I don't think Bigfoot exists. I don't think, oh, it doesn't make sense that, you know, this happens or that. Um, it seems you right, right. It seems like the less like imaginative or creative you can be and and the and the duller the world gets. Um, and, and that might just be like, you know, the sci-fi fan in me and the, the lover of, um, the lover of the ridiculous, but, um, there is, there is a kid in me that still looks up and, you know, you know, I, I want to see a little green dude hovering above there. Like, yeah, what's up, dude? You know? Yeah, I definitely get that. And I think it would be, uh, really an interesting time for the world if that, we got to that point, but I mean, you're definitely right in terms of, um, kind of, yeah. Like, um, what is that word? Stifling, uh, stifling. Yeah. Yes. Stifling like the, um, uh, like growth, uh, towards the ability to do that. Like if I, if, if everyone just believed like me that it's not possible to ever get there, then like, what's the point of trying? And if no one tries, then we will literally never get there. Pretend if it is something that is like actually possible, um, like whether it's, uh, Oh, like you can't go to space and they're like, well, we're going to land a craft on the moon or like, Oh, you can't go to Mars. And Elon Musk's like, I'm going to have people flying there by 2030. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> right. Like, like, like the more you say shit isn't possible, the, the lower the chance an Elon Musk ever emerges yeah, and the world exactly. needs Elon Musk. It needs people that are, um, looking to continually improve on things and make things better because we're not going to to continue to get better if we're uh, as a as a species or uh as a society if we're just like yeah like eliminating options off the table without even attempting right yeah it seems um it seems um it seems just naturally against the human spirit honestly yeah no that's a that's a pretty good um way to way to say it i would i would say that's it it kind of is just going directly against that (laughs) so but yeah have you uh in in that sense have you ever had any supernatural experiences other than your uh hope for a little green man with a a big head floating down and being like yo bro what's good the closest the closest i've ever come um encounters with the fourth kind um was at there's a restaurant that is close to where i grew up and the stories about that restaurant were prolific enough that a young kid like me would definitely believe that the joint was haunted. I and know exactly we, where you're talking about. Right. And yeah. so we had eaten there a couple of times and whether it's, you know, placebo effect or me being eight years old and really wanting to encounter a poltergeist. Um, yeah, there were, there were candles that shifted. We heard like chairs moving up in the attic when apparently there's no seating up there. 
Um, so just like a bunch of weird shit like that. However, I, I, I do have to say it all came from the same building and it was, it was that one restaurant in particular, but it was spoopy enough where in the back of my head, even today, I'm like, eh, you don't want to fuck with ghosts, man. You yeah. know? Now I know one of the, the kids of that family and he was, he was, uh, my age. So like, I remember back in probably, it was either elementary school or middle school. Like when I first heard of these, uh, these stories of the restaurant um, being haunted and like people like I, I forget if it was on a cell phone or if it was actually a physical like photograph because um, it's right in that time period where people started where cell phone like flip phones became a thing. Right. Uh, I remember seeing a picture that had some like, weird grainy like fuzzy kind of transparent looking uh spot on it that people are like yo that's it you caught on camera and like i remember seeing it and being like i don't know but that looks pretty weird <laughs> right, right right oh man that would that would send my brain running wild bro yeah, I would. I, I would have been convinced if I saw a photo. Holy shit! But no, that's crazy. But, yeah, it, you're, but it wasn't that, like it wasn't necessarily like the shape of a person. It was just kind of like a a and like you know how uh, some depending on who listens to this, some audience members may not remember uh, super well like the times of taking pictures on a film camera and taking them down to. Um, Oh, what what was it called? Oh, you would have like, to take them to like CVS and get them developed like, or whatever. You could take them to CVS, or you could go to their their actual like film camera like place. Oh yeah, like out. the Kodak stores. Yeah, like those. But there was another one that I I'm blanking on the name, but there was another one that was like before the Walmart near us turned into a super center. There was a strip of stores next to it. Um that were like just like a mini mall kind of strip there and in that strip there was a one of these like photo centers um and i'm i just can't remember what it was called but like like, a, like an epson photo center or whatever yeah like something like that um and so the fact that these are being developed off film um lends itself to their occasional <laughs> Um, maybe a, a glitch with the black light that causes right. a discoloration on the photo, or if it if it was on a cell phone and I'm misremembering. Uh, I mean, early cell phone cameras were garbage. So. Well, so, yeah, it's just like um, it could easily be mistaken, like uh, like a lady who sees like Jesus in her pancakes or whatever. Like you're yeah. just like really hoping, right? Yeah, that but, that, that mean, little shadow that was cast a light off the reflection of the lamp. But know. I will admit it was a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially because it was like it was like the it was like the town story, right? Like everybody who grew up around here like kind of knows about that restaurant and oh, uh, it was haunted and this and that. So like it lent itself to the legend, right? It's not like it was just like one-off stories that one kid told. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's like what kind of led to the mysticism about it. So, so am I? So, 
Yes, I do lean towards being a believer, but that's just because I think it's within the human spirit. Um, do I have supernatural experiences of my own? Not many, um, not many different varied ones, but yeah, that place was sweet. Yeah, no, that's a, I've never actually eaten there, but I, I've seen that picture. I've heard the stories. And so it's, uh, I don't know what to exactly believe with it, but it's definitely well, an interesting thing to kind of. The real on. gem, the real gem is talking to the brewers that are in there now. Uh, brewers not being a last name, brewers is in like like uh, like beer brewers. Um, they'll they'll embellish a little bit with you, like they'll they'll kind of fuck around, and be like, oh, like do you like do you ever hear like ghosts or whatever? And they'll be like, oh, son, last Halloween. Let me tell you a story. Yeah, like it's head. it's cool. Like they really lean into it. Um, and it's just like I I've 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 driven past. You know, if I'm if I'm 28 years old, I've driven past that building 28,000 times. Um, it's just great architecture. It's you know close close to my heart. But yeah, uh, no, it's, yeah. A, it's a cool. It's definitely a cool building. Um, but yeah, I I think that's prob that's pretty entertaining that they like kind of get into uh into that and lean into the the stories a bit with it yeah it's like it's like town canon dude it's sweet but yeah i'll uh i'll take my uh fucking tinfoil hat off now man my bad <laughs> no you're good that was uh that was fun to kind of go down that rabbit hole a little bit and kind of talk about it and and all but um but yeah i think that pretty much wraps up i guess where i'm at with uh with poltergeist and aliens i'm i'm just gonna, yeah i believe that there's there's potential but it would take a bit more to uh for me to fully believe in it sure no that's probably the that's probably the uh, logical position to have you won't see me going and uh, getting a CB radio and having it on at night, trying to listen to potential sounds from space coming in or anything. I don't wait. Wait, you wait. You don't do that. I, I don't. Oh, <laughs> sorry to disappoint. <laughs> wait, so you don't think that's normal then, huh? You don't think everybody does that? I didn't say that. <laughs> I might have to get rid of my CB radio then. I might be using it for the wrong thing. But then how are you going to talk to to truckers? <laughs> I didn't think it was truckers I was talking to. I thought it was ET. It, it might be. But um, is there are there is there anything else you want to hit on tonight? I don't think so. Um and I, I've been trying to figure out what that store, that photo development place was called, and I've settled on Photomat. Photomat? Are you yeah. sure that was even in our region? That I doesn't sound like it was in our it, region. It doesn't sound like it either. And like all I'm seeing are these booths that aren't. Um, they're not like the mini yeah because yeah i was gonna say i know the one you're talking about it's like a storefront like a brick and mortar place yeah so i'm trying to like maybe it was just like a kodak store or something like it it's something that i remember from my childhood that's a little less uh vivid than like blockbuster and right and things like that but um but i digress i think uh yeah i think we've knocked knocked that out of the park I, that was 
definitely entertaining to to kind of go through and talk about. Yeah, I have to say I haven't uh, done a deep dive on uh, Ghosts and Aliens in a while, so that was pretty sweet. Uh, yeah. But yeah, man, I think uh, I think that's really all I have for this week. Uh, if uh, if you want to take us out of here, yeah. Um, well, uh, everyone, again, this is the tall and the short of it. Uh, really appreciate you guys listening, um, and we will talk to you guys next time. Peace out, man. Thanks.